This is a very convicting passage to me because as a minister of the gospel, I need to take seriously my calling to feed the flock. And why is this a serious calling? It's a serious calling because he purchased the flock with his own blood. That's where the call comes from. And if I may be so bold, even if you are not in church leadership, you are still a shepherd. Because God calls men to be shepherds of their own families. So please don't miss this. If you are a father, you are called to be a shepherd over your own family for similar reasons. If, if the Lord is willing and they have been redeemed, your wife and your children, then you need to shepherd them for the same reason. Because they are bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Well, it is good to be with you today. If you have your Bibles, if you'll turn with me to the book of Acts, chapter 20. Um, I'm hoping to get through the remainder of this chapter today. If we don't, we will um, just pick up wherever we end today. But my hope is to get through uh, the end of Acts, chapter 20, starting in verse 13. And this message I have titled Encouragement of Ephesus. One of the things that I really appreciate about the ministry of the Apostle Paul is that he didn't just go preaching the gospel wherever he went and then just leave the people without resource or without care. Um, He actually did genuinely care for the people. He believed in discipleship. We've already seen through his journeys that he liked to do follow-up trips when possible. Um, He talked many times about longing to see people face-to-face. And he really believed in personal discipleship. So that's kind of the backdrop of what we see in this first section of our passage today. Uh, But before we begin... Let's ask the Lord to guide us today. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to be here, to share your word, and to enjoy it together. We pray that we would glean wondrous things from it as we open it and trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so the first section that I'm going to read is Acts 20, 13 to 17. And this is um, just Paul continuing to travel in this third missionary journey. Starting with verse 13. And we went before to ship and sailed unto Asos, there intending to take in Paul, for so he had appointed, minding himself to go afoot. And when he had met with us at Asos, we took him in and came to uh, Mylene. And we sailed thence and came the next day against Chias. And the next day we arrived at Samus and tarried at Trigilium. 
And the next day we came to Miletus. For Paul had determined to sail by Ephesus because he would not spend the time in Asia for he hasted if it were possible for him to be at Jerusalem the day of Pentecost. And from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. So we have a situation where Paul says, I'm going to sail past Ephesus. I'm not going to go there because there's no possible way for me to have a short visit there. I was thinking about this in terms of when I was planning my trip to Hawaii with my brother and my friend Adam. I said, I saw this thing on the airline website that said you could book a ticket for Hawaii for like, I think it was like 150 or 200 bucks if you came, if you, if you left on like Thursday or Friday and came back on Monday. And I said, because it takes almost a whole day to get there and almost a whole day to get back, it's not worth it to go on a trip that short. So it looks like an offer, a good offer, but it really isn't. Because when you go to a place like Hawaii, you want to have time to enjoy it. And Paul knew that he wanted to give a fair amount of time to the Ephesians, so he didn't want to stop. Um, Another thing that's interesting about this is that Paul decides to go part of the way of this journey on foot and meet the ship. Um, And... It's kind of interesting that Paul would do this, um, but I read this insight from Precept Austin. It said, intending himself to go by land, it was about 20 miles over a paved Roman road, less than half the distance of the sea voyage around Cape Lucknum. It was a beautiful walk in the springtime, and no doubt Paul enjoyed it. Whatever his reason was for going thus to Asos, well, the rest went by sea. Certainly he was entitled to a little time alone this one day as Jesus sought the Father in the night watches. And I think um, in our next section we're going to see that he's going to give an address to the elders and leaders at Ephesus. And perhaps he was preparing his thoughts during this walk that he took. And getting alone with God. It's important for us to get alone with God. How do we know this? Because Jesus himself got alone with God. And Jesus as the Son of God, if he is spending hours in prayer, what does that say to us? Let's look at Matthew 14, 22-23. Matthew 14, 22-23. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he set the multitudes away. And when he had set the multitudes away, he went upon the mountain by himself to pray. Now when evening came, he was alone there. So Jesus sends the multitudes away. He had just been preaching to him. I believe this is coming off um, the, the feeding of the 5,000. He sends the multitudes away and he sends his disciples ahead on a ship 
And he goes up into a mountain to pray, and he was alone. It's important for us to be alone with God. And especially in the culture that we have constructed today, um, there's always busyness, there's always something going on, and sometimes it's just good to be alone in the silence. I have a hard time with that. I don't like silence. But the Bible does say to be still and know that I am God. 1 Corinthians 9, 24-27. 1 Corinthians 9, 24-27. So I thought of this passage too when I talked about Paul walking on foot on this journey. The fact that he um, talked about keeping his body in shape. He says that our body is the temple of the living God so we should take care of it. It's a gift from him. And so I, I thought, well, Paul sets the example here. He, he does say bodily exercise profiteth little, but it does profit. So I think that's an important point to bring out. So the next point is that Paul encourages the Ephesians. Paul encourages the Ephesians. So he doesn't have a lot of time to, to meet with them in Ephesus, but he asks them to come to meet him. In Miletus. And so they must have been devoted to Paul because they decide to make the trek and go to meet him. And so our narrative continues in Acts twenty eighteen, And it says, And when they were come to him, he said unto them, You know from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons. Serving the Lord with all humility of mind and with many tears and temptations which befell me by the laying in wait of the Jews. <clears throat> and how I have kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And behold, I go bound in the spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there. Say that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. But none of these things move me, neither do I count my life dear unto myself, so that I may finish my course with joy in the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel and the grace of God. 
And now behold, I know that ye all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God shall see my face no more. Wherefore, I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men, for I am not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. So in this passage, we see that Paul knows that his time of departure from this area is at hand, and he says, I'm not coming back this way again. You will never see me on this earth. Now, the good news is, that if we are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we can always say, see you later. Because even if it's someone that we only meet once in this life, we know that we have a common destination and that we will see them again. And I'm sure there was hope in these Ephesian believers that that was the case. But I want to point out, first of all, that Paul comes and he, he talks about his, his conduct with them. He says, I've been with you at all seasons and I've served the Lord with humility of mind and with many tears. And he talks about the trials that came his way because of the Jewish people. Remember earlier in the book, he shook the dust off his raiment and he said, because you are acting this way from now on, I'm clean of all of you and I'm going to the Gentiles which was God's ultimate call to him anyway, but he never lost his love for the Jewish people. He said if it was possible for the Jewish people to be saved if I went to hell, I would want that to be the case. But of course we know it's not possible because every person must make their own decision for the Lord. And then he says, I go bound in the spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me. He didn't know what God had planned for him in Jerusalem. He just knew he was supposed to go there. Now, we see a contrast between him and Jesus, because what did it say about Jesus? It says, Jesus, knowing all things that were to befall him, set his face toward Jerusalem. And his disciples said, don't go to Jerusalem, you'll die there. And he said, but I must. Why did he say he must? Because of you and me. And then he says, the Holy Spirit told me that bonds and afflictions await me. But I'm still going. What a contrast to Jonah. who God says, Jonah, go to Nineveh. Preach the gospel. And Jonah gets on the ship and goes the opposite direction to Tarshish. But did he hide? Did he successfully hide from God? No, because a big storm came up and threatened the lives of every person on the ship that Jonah was in. And Jonah said, this is because of me. Throw me overboard and you will be safe. Can you imagine um, being in a storm and somebody says, throw me overboard and you'll be okay. And yet that was the Jonah story. And then he goes to Nineveh, preaches the gospel, the Ninevites repent, turn to God, and Jonah gets mad and says, God, I knew they would repent. And yet his bitterness was such that he did not want to go. And I'll be interested if I have an opportunity to have a conversation with Jonah someday 
Because the book of Jonah does not end on a very I know either. Because he's angry at God about the gourd. So I think there's lessons for us about how we need to keep our accounts short with God and realize that his mercies are new every morning and that if we are breathing air, he is good. Amen? So Paul says, But none of these things move me, neither do I count my life dear unto myself, so that I may finish my course with joy and the ministry that I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. And then he says some real hard words for the Ephesians to hear. And now behold, I know that y'all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, shall see my face no more. Now, I, I have to wonder what was going through the, the face of, or the, the minds. I have to wonder what was going through the minds of the Ephesians when he says this. Because I, I know it's not possible for me to see everybody I've ever met again before we meet the Lord. But I never think about it in that context when I see someone, when I enjoy fellowship with someone that I will never see them again. Conversely, though, I always try to make sure that they know how I feel about them because I know how fragile life is. And I don't want to have any regrets. But Paul is just being honest with him. He's saying, I'm not going to come back this way again and you will see my face no more. And then he says, Wherefore I take you to record that this day I am pure from the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare unto you the counsel of God. He's saying to these Ephesians, I have told you everything I can about the gospel of God. He wrote them an epistle all about the gospel of God. In that epistle, we read, For by grace are ye saved through faith. And that not of yourselves it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto works which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. And what, what a challenge that is to declare the whole counsel of God. Here's what John Phillips says about this passage. He says, To know what Paul set before the Ephesian Christians, we have to explore all of his epistles, but especially his epistle to the Ephesians. The teaching of the Ephesians revolves around the Christian's wealth, his walk, and warfare. Ephesians 1-3 to is the Christian's wealth. Ephesians 4 and 5 is his walk. And Ephesians 6 is the Christian's warfare. Of all Paul's letters, his Ephesians letter climbs the highest heights, plunges to the deepest depths, embraces the profoundest truths. Paul kept nothing back. Let's look at Colossians 1, 27 to 29. Colossians 1, 27 to 29. 
Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. And then 2 Timothy 4, 6-8. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have thought to get by that finished grace that I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, not to me only, but also to all. This is a very this passage in Second Timothy is very similar to the language that he is using in verse twenty four of Acts twenty when he says, "None of these things move me; neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I may finish my course with joy in the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify of the gospel of the grace of God." Paul can't not share the gospel because it is in his very being to do so. And in this Colossians passage, we read about Christ in you, the hope of glory. I remember that being the theme of Lake Ann Baptist Camp and growing up going to family camp there and singing a song with those words, Christ in you, the hope of glory, this is the banner we raise. Here at Lake Ann, we tell the story of Jesus, his saving grace. Honoring Jesus in all we do mentally, physically, spiritually too. Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is the banner we raise. And that should be the goal of every believer here today. Is that in every aspect of life, that they would raise the banner of Christ, who is the hope of glory. We are living in a hopeless world, a dark world, a world that wants to look everywhere but up for help. But the psalmist said, where will I look for help? I will look up into the hills. From whence cometh my help? My my help cometh even from the Lord who hath made heaven and earth. We were driving into church today and I was marveling at the creation. And my dad and I were talking about how It's so amazing how many blind people there are in the world who would think that this just happened. But there's no way that this complex creation could have just happened. We need to encourage one another in that. Gene Nitek, a 214-pound homemaker desperate to lose weight, went to the New York City Department of Health where she was given a diet devised by Dr. Norman Joliffe. Two months later, discouraged about the 50 pounds still to go, she invited six overweight friends home to share the diet and talk about how to stay on it. Today, 28 years later, 1 million members attend 250,000 Weight Watchers meetings in 24 countries every week. Why was Neetek able to help people take control of their lives? To answer that, she tells a story. When she was a teenager, she used to cross a park. When she saw mothers gossiping while their toddlers sat on the swings with no one to push them. I'll give them a push, says Neetek. And you know what happens when you push a kid on a swing? Pretty soon he's pumping, doing it by himself. That's what my role in life is. I'm giving others 
a push. And that's what Paul's role for these Ephesians was, was to give others a push. That's what I believe I've been called to in speaking for him, is to, call, and just to help others walk closer with the Lord Jesus. My job as a minister of the gospel is not to draw you to Andrew Gomison, because Andrew Gomison is a flawed individual. But Jesus Christ, the one whom I serve, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that is perfection. So our third section, starting in Acts 20, 28, Paul is going to warn the Ephesians. He's encouraged the Ephesians. Now he's going to warn them. Acts 20, 28. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he has purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous woods shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also, of your own selves shall men arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all them who are sanctified. I have coveted no man's silver, gold, or apparel. Ye yourselves know that these hands have ministered unto my necessities and to them that were with me. I have showed you all these things, how that so laboring you ought to support the weak and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, it's interesting here that we don't know when Jesus said these words because this is the only place in the Bible that this is mentioned. So these could have been words that Paul heard directly from Jesus during his three-year ministry training in the desert. Or this could have been um, something that the disciples were familiar with but did not write in the Gospels. But either way, Paul is bringing out a really wonderful principle. It's a phrase that we say often and hear often, but it's right here in Holy Scripture. What a wonderful thing that is. This is a very convicting passage to me because as a minister of the gospel, I need to take seriously my calling to feed the flock. And why is this a serious calling? It's a serious calling because he purchased the flock with his own blood. That's where the call comes from. And if I may be so bold, even if you are not in church leadership, you are still a shepherd. Because God calls men to be shepherds of their own families. So please don't miss this. If you are a father, you are called to be a shepherd over your own family for similar reasons. If if the Lord is willing and they have been redeemed, your wife and your children, then you need to shepherd them for the same reason. 
Because they are bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Then Paul warns about false teachers. Sometimes we tend, we may tend to think that false teachers are a new thing. And Paul is saying, no, this is not a new thing. This is happening now. As a matter of fact, from my understanding of studying the book of John, one of the reasons that John talked so much about knowing, knowing that you're saved, knowing the truth, is because he was directly battling with the Gnostics when he wrote his gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Not a God, but was the God. What a wonderful truth that is. Evil from among the congregation at Ephesus would arise. False teachers who would try to get a following and pull people away from the local church by preaching crooked and distracting doctrines. Yet even more specific, some of the elders of the local church would come up with moral and or doctrinal deficiencies and they would be dealt with by the elders who were sound in the faith. Faith. They would be dealt with by the elders who were sound in the faith. The most dangerous enemies which the church has had, have been nurtured in its own bosom. Men who are ambitious, who lust for power, or who love prosperity, form parties or sects within the church, which produce cliques, divisions, and strife. John Calvin said, Ambition is the mother of heresies. In his letter to Timothy, who was the pastor-teacher at Ephesus, The apostle Paul warned Timothy about certain false teachers and called them by name so that there would be no mistake as to whom he was referring. Among these are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I delivered over to Satan, that they may be taught not to blaspheme. 1 Timothy 1.20 You are aware of the fact that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phagellus and Hermogenes. 2 Timothy 1.15 So, and this is from Concerns of a Shepherd by Jack Arnold. Abraham Lincoln said the same thing about our country. If our country is to fail, it will not be from without, but rather from within. And we need to be on our knees for our country today because we have many people within who want it to be destroyed. And of course, we know that even if America is destroyed, our foundation is in God, and so we will continue to stand because he will not desert us. He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. We look at 1 Peter 5, verses 1 to 4. 1 Peter 5, 1 to 4. The elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, 
not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, he shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. So Peter is challenging the shepherds to be humble, to take their job seriously, and to not do it in a prideful way, but in a humble way. To know that we are all children of God. That there is no hierarchy in the kingdom. And Peter learned a lot of lessons through his time with the Lord Jesus. I believe here in this passage he's referring to the fact that he witnessed the transfiguration. So we got a taste of what the glory will be like when we see him in heaven. And he also witness the crucifixion, the suffering of our Lord. Colossians 1, 9-14. Colossians 1, 9-14. This cause also, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and to desire that you might be filled with So Paul's desire in this passage in Colossians is that the Colossians would walk worthy of the gospel. And Paul's similar desire for the Ephesians in this passage is that they would walk worthy of the gospel. One Arkansas farmer discourages trespassers with this admonition. Please do not trample the poison ivy or feed the bull. When we are given commands in Scripture, they are not to be grievous to us. They are to give us direction and guidance. I'm reminded of a meme that I've seen several times on Facebook. And it shows a guy at a at a a guardrail. But he, he thinks it's blocking him from something fun. So he jumps over it and he falls to his death at the bottom of a cliff. And the point is made, it's not a hindrance. It's not meant to destroy our lives, but to preserve our lives. So in our final few verses here in Acts chapter 20, Paul is going to say goodbye to 
the Ephesians. Acts chapter 20, 36 to 38. Acts chapter 20, 36 to 38. And when he had thus spoken, he kneeled down and prayed with them all. And they all wept sore and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him. Sorrowing most of all for the words which he spake, that they should see his face no more. And they accompanied him unto the ship. This was no simple goodbye. This was a moving, horrendous, in some ways, goodbye. But he does an awesome thing here. He kneels and he prays with them. And then they wept sore. They wept greatly. And they fell on Paul's neck and kissed him. It was pointed out to me as I was studying this that this is very similar um, language to when the father of the prodigal son ran from a great way off, fell on his son's neck and kissed him. There was great love between the Ephesians and Paul. And they were sad that he would never see them again on this earth. Souring most of all for the words which he spake, that they should see his face no more. And they accompanied him to the ship. I wondered if some of them went as slow as they possibly could. I, I know what it's like to come kind of to the end of a wonderful time, whether it be a vacation or a Bible conference or a family reunion or whatever it may be, and you you want to go slow, you don't want it to end. We kind of joke about that in saying goodbye at my house, too, because sometimes you say goodbye in the living room, but if the especially if the weather's good, then you go out on the porch and you say more goodbyes. Then you go down off the porch to the car in the driveway and you say more goodbyes. And then you finally pull out of the driveway and the goodbye is more or less final, at least for that time. And I kind of have that picture here because they, they said goodbye to him. They prayed with him, but then they accompanied him to the ship which probably involved more tears, more goodbyes, and more blessings. And it is sad, but isn't it wonderful that they had that level of affection for one another? That's the level of affection that God wants us to have for one another. That we would be truly moved if we knew that it was the last time we would see one another. It is only natural that they would grieve after Paul had spent almost three years among them and they had undoubtedly become very close personal friends. This is a good picture for all of us and also a challenge. When I was growing up, my mother would frequently have the pastor and his family over uh, after church. We got to know his family like family, but as churches have grown in size and busyness, 
It seems the gap between shepherd and sheep has widened, and this is a sad dynamic. We need to return to the days of the first church so that we might share in one another's lives in such a way that if one departs to another post or to eternal life, we are grieved for a moment and yet joyful for what we know. We are grieved for a moment and yet joyful for we know that the goodbyes of believers are only temporary. I like to tell the undertaker, we only want to rent the plot of land for a few years. You should see their face. And that was from an unknown contributor to Precept Austin. But I thought that was very well put. Can we look at Philippians 4, 6 to 8? Philippians 4, 6 to 8. And how do we get peace? We get peace by committing everything to God. And then he allows us to think on those positive things that were listed in verse 8. 2 Timothy 1, 3 and 4. 2 Timothy 1, 3 and 4. So Paul is telling Timothy that he greatly desires to see him, but that even if he can't see him, he is always praying about him. And he is sensitive to the needs that he has, being mindful of Timothy's tears. And I'm sure that Paul kept these Ephesians in his prayers long after they had seen one another. On his deathbed, British preacher Charles Simeon smiled brightly and asked the people gathered in his room, What do you think especially gives me comfort at this time? When they all remained silent, he exclaimed, The creation. I asked myself, Did Jehovah create the world or did I? He did. Now if he made the world and all of the rolling spheres of the universe, he certainly can take care of me. Into Jesus' hands, I can safely commit my spirit. The God of the universe, the one that created the world in six days, is the same one that gave us his Holy Spirit and is the same one that Paul said of him, in him we live and move and have our being. He can be trusted. My hope is that you will trust him with your life. If you have trusted him, thank him today. If you haven't trusted him, 
Bible says to call on him, call on to him while he is near. Seek him while he may be found. It's the best thing you will ever do. And if you do know him, then no matter where you go in this world, we will see each other again. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the Apostle Paul and his heart for people. We pray that we would be similarly burdened, that we would share your word where we go, that we would share your hope and your love, that we would care for one another, that we would bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. We pray this all in the name of Jesus, our risen Savior. Amen.